So let's, let's take a moment and just ask for God's help as we open up his word. Um, Father, thank you uh, for a chance to lift our voices together and confess what is deeply and profoundly true, that your grace is enough. Um, Father, I want to pray you would teach us um, more and more every day uh, to live gladly dependent on your grace with our hands and our hearts open. Um, thank you that you are always standing by wanting to give more grace, wanting to pour out more grace. Um, Father, just help us to be receptive, to be hung hungry, to be open. Um, and Father, thank you that now as we open up your word, we know that you want to pour out grace to us through your word. You want to speak to us words that are life-giving. And so again, help us uh, to have our ears open, our hearts open, our lives open, so that you can speak um, in a way that will shape us and make us new. Um, so Father, help us to, to listen with our hearts this morning. Uh, and we pray that you would speak by your word and by your spirit. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Okay, we're going to read um, a very famous story this morning. We're, we're in Mark chapter 4. Um, let me, well actually, before, before I read, um, I have had, um, I haven't had many photographs coming in, so I'd like to encourage you to send me more photographs of take your Mark's gospel to interesting places. Um, but um, I was sent a few this week uh, by one person. So I want you to look and see, look at this beautiful window display in Faith Mission Bookshop, which has Colin's handiwork all over it. But what is, what is this we can spy hiding in the window with Faith Mission? Let's zoom in a little and see. What could it be? It's a, it's a Mark's Gospel. So Colin has been taking the free Mark's Gospels and selling them, apparently. No, no, he's not, he's not really. Um, but um, thank you, Colin. Um, just a wee reminder, if anybody hasn't got one and you'd like a, a free copy, uh, there's still lots more. Take one for yourself, take one for your neighbours, take one for your colleagues. Uh, that's the whole idea, that we give them away. Um, but yeah, if you can take your somewhere interesting this week, send me a photo. Um, keep, me, keep me entertained. Um, let, let's read together from Mark chapter 4. And we're going to read from verse 35. It says, that day when evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. I'm just going to pause there for one second. Um, just a couple of things to note before we go on. Um, Jesus in Mark chapter 4 has been teaching the crowd from the boat, which I always think is a beautiful dramatic scene. He's standing in the boat, the crowd are on the shore, and he is teaching them uh, the, the parables of Mark chapter 4. Um, and so it seems like at the end of his teaching, the boat then proved to be a convenient getaway vehicle, because um, often the crowd kind of followed him and pressed in everywhere he went. Um, and so he and the disciples head off. And it seems to be another example of what we've talked about, of getting away from the crowd to go with his disciples to the quiet place that after the busyness of ministry and teaching, he and the disciples are going um, to a quiet place. I, I love the little detail where it says there were also other boats with him. It's one of those little intriguing phrases 
we don't quite know what that means. Does it mean that the party of disciples was so big that they needed several boats? Or it may be another one of those stories where Jesus and the, the disciples are trying to get away to get um, to the quiet place, but the crowd, the crowd are jumping in their boats and coming along with them. Um, either way, um, it's also just one of those little details that reminds us that this is real eyewitness testimony because the other boats don't play any part in the rest of the story we're about to read, but it's just telling us they were there because they were, because <laughs> that's what happened. Um, and I love, I, I'm intrigued by it. I don't know what's going on there with the other boats, uh, but let's read on. Um, it says, uh, verse 37, a furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind and said to the waves, quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. And he said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Um, I wonder if somebody was to ask you, um, what is the opposite of faith? Um, what you would say? I think very often, um, if we were playing a little game and doing opposites, if I said faith, a lot of us would say doubt is the opposite of faith. Um, but actually, very often in the Bible, the opposite of faith is not doubt, but fear. And so at the end of our story, Jesus says to the disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? And so faith and fear are intention or competing with one another uh, within us. Um, it's kind of the big theme that I want to I think about this morning. Um, the disciples in this story are afraid. Um, and the story suggests that they had very good reason to be afraid. Um, what, what happens on, on the Sea of Galilee is not just a little breeze or a little swell or it's not just a little bit choppy. Um, it's a furious squall with waves breaking over the boat. And it, it's maybe good to remember many of the disciples are fishermen, so they're very used to being in boats and they're very used to being on the water. So if they are terrified, if they are afraid, it's because this is real trouble. Their, their lives are in genuine danger. This is a, a serious and dangerous storm. And therefore, I think this is really important to say, it is natural and normal and human to be afraid, right? If I'd been there, I would have been really, really scared. I don't know how you are in a boat and uh, choppy water, but um, we would have been afraid of it. It's natural and normal and human that they were afraid. But I wanna pause there for a second. Um, and I wanna ask you this question, um, which is what are the storms that make you afraid? Um, I think it's really important. And if, if we're gonna read this story for our benefit, um, you may occasionally in your life find yourself literally in a boat on a sea in a storm. You may have had that happen to you before. It may happen to you again. Um, but most of the time, that's not where we are. Um, in the Bible, the sea often represents symbolically the forces of chaos and the forces of evil and the forces of darkness. 
Um, and so I think we are encouraged to see this story both as a real event that happened, but also as a kind of parable for our lives. Um, I think it serves in both ways. This is something that happened um, to Jesus and the disciples, but it also serves as a picture and a parable for us. And so we need to ask, what are the wind and the waves that threaten us, that make us afraid? And I'd love you to think about that in your own mind. It might be, um, it might be really obvious, or you may need to, to spend a bit of time today thinking about it. What are, what are the storms that threaten me and make me afraid? And it may be personal storms in your own life of sickness, uh, your own sickness or sickness of people you love. It may be bereavement. It may be broken relationships or financial troubles or depression or addiction or all kinds of things that might be storms in our life, either in our own life or in the lives of people we really care about. And you don't need me to tell you those storms are real and serious, and therefore it is natural and normal and human that we get scared, that we get anxious, that we are afraid of those things, right? The wind and the waves are real. So I'd love you to, to think about that. Um, but maybe especially I want to also suggest as we think about storms that make us afraid, it may also be cultural storms in our wider world that make us afraid, um, as well as the personal stuff in our own lives. So it may be, let me mention a few, uh, it may be uh, the vast confusion in our generation and in our culture about sexuality and gender. It might be the climate crisis and all the arguments that go along with the climate crisis. It might be the refugee crisis and all the arguments that go along with the refugee crisis. It may be the culture wars that are going on between left and right and woke and anti-woke. It may be the actual wars that are going on in Israel and Gaza and many other parts of the world. Um, it may be the almost complete loss of confidence in politics and politicians that seems to be happening in nearly every country. It may be the scandals that seem to have rocked nearly every part of society, um, especially sexual scandals, but also scandals of uh, abuse of power and bullying and all kinds of things, including often sadly and tragically in the church. There's all kinds of storms in our culture. Um, I feel like um, nearly every week, and I don't keep a record, uh, but I think nearly every week I hear somebody say in conversation, and actually Tim's already done it this morning, um, the world's gone crazy or the world's gone mad. Um, there is a kind of cultural storm going on where everything's in motion and everything's in upheaval and there's kind of a kind of chaos and it seems that very little is stable, very little is calm, very little is reliable, solid ground under your feet. Um, we, we're often tempted to say that the storms going on in our time are... Um, worse than any other generation or unprecedented. And if you've heard me talk about this before, you'll know I'm a little bit skeptical about that kind of talk. We tend to have very short historical memories. And I think there are a few other generations that would um, have an argument with us about uh, whether ours is the worst. There have been many seriously stormy chapters in our world. And uh, as one songwriter says, every generation thinks it's the end of the world. Um, but maybe we could agree this much for now that these are the stormiest times in our living memory. I think that's probably true for most of us. 
Maybe some of you who are older, uh, there's at least one uh, person with gray hair shaking their head at me, and that's good. Um, I, I, you can tell us, tell us later on, those who have lived through stormier times. Um, but for, probably for most of us, it may be the stormiest times that we've lived through. And again, I want to say this really clearly. These cultural storms are real and serious, and therefore it's natural and normal and human to be afraid to be anxious, to be alarmed, to be kind of agitated in our spirit. But I also want to say this, um, because I want to be faithful to the word of God this morning. For those who are disciples of Jesus, for those who are apprentices of Jesus, it is not inevitable that we be afraid. It is possible to live through the deadliest of storms and not be anxious and not be afraid. Maybe you're thinking, how on earth can you say that? Well, why am I saying that? Because Jesus says to his disciples, as they're in the middle of a really genuine, deadly, possibly could kill them kind of storm, why are you so afraid? Now, my assumption is, because Jesus is the one who loves perfectly, Jesus doesn't rebuke anyone harshly or unfairly, right? Um, And therefore, um, if Jesus rebukes the disciples here, as I think he does, um, the suggestion is they could have responded differently. Jesus doesn't rebuke someone for something that that they couldn't help. It suggests that the disciples could have responded differently in in that moment. And I want to suggest the disciples are not wrong about the storm. They're not wrong about the wind and the waves. Those are really genuinely scary. Um, They've seen the wind and the waves clearly and accurately. What they have not yet seen is the full truth about Jesus. They haven't yet seen Jesus clearly, and that is why they are afraid. They've seen the wind and waves. They've seen the storm. um, No problem there. They haven't yet seen Jesus clearly. And if they had seen Jesus clearly, they could have responded with faith and not fear. Their problem comes because they're paying really close attention to the storm, but they're not paying really close attention to Jesus. Where is Jesus as the storm is raging? And it's an endlessly uh, beautiful, curious, puzzling uh, moment in the story. Um, Jesus is asleep in in the stern of the boat, lying on a cushion. Again, another little detail I love. He's lying on a cushion. Um, And it's really important that we don't misunderstand this moment. The disciples misunderstand, and they think the fact that Jesus is sleeping means he doesn't care. And that, of course, you and I know, that is profoundly untrue. Jesus cares for them more than anyone has ever cared for them. And eventually his love for them is going to take him all the way to the cross uh, to die on their behalf, right? So Jesus... They, they wrongly think it means Jesus doesn't care. Um, what does Jesus sleeping express? I want to suggest um, Jesus asleep in the stern of the boat. His sleep is an expression of faith, of quiet trust and confidence in his good father. Jesus knows that he is in his father's world. Jesus knows that he is in the father's hands. And there is no safer place for him to be, whatever else is going on. He is confident in the presence and power 
and love of the Father. He knows that nothing can separate him from the love of his Father. Not the wind, not the waves, not the deadliest storm, not his human enemies who are already starting to conspire against him, not the demonic enemies that are operating behind the scenes, not even death itself. Nothing can separate him from the Father's love, and so he lies down and sleeps. And I think we need to pay really close attention to that picture of quiet trust and confidence uh, that Jesus um, expresses. Um, I don't know about you, I'm, I'm not a particularly anxious flyer. I quite like flying and getting in planes. Um, but sometimes when I'm on a plane and we hit kind of really bad turbulence, I do start to get a little nervous and tense and grip onto the, uh, the armrest a little bit. Um, and one of the things that I find helpful, I don't know if others do this as well, but often at that moment, I have a little look at the cabin crew, right? Because I always think they do this all the time. They know what's normal and what's not normal. And if I look, I'm kind of gripping on a wee bit and looking out the window and seeing the wings go. Um, but I look over at them and they're kind of joking and laughing and dandering down the aisle and still serving coffee to people. And then I kind of go, oh, okay, it's okay. When, I, when I'm just looking out the window at the, the wobbles, I get fearful. But when I, I take a look at someone who knows what they're doing, um, there's a calm that comes. There's a, a confidence that comes. There's something a little bit like that going on here. If the disciples had really looked at Jesus, they would have seen his quiet confidence in the Father. They would have seen his faith and trust in the presence and power and love of God. Um, and so I want to suggest Jesus asleep in the middle of the storm is showing us that it's possible to live without fear. It's not inevitable that we should always be anxious and alarmed. Um, I was thinking about some of the words in the Psalms. Have you ever noticed how often the Psalms talk about fear? Um, so the psalmist says in Psalm 46, if God is our refuge and strength, then we will not fear even if the earth gives way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea and its waters roar and foam. We will not fear. Or Psalm 27, the psalmist says, if God is our light and our salvation and if God is the stronghold of our lives, then he says, whom shall I fear? Of whom shall I be afraid? He says, even if my enemies surround me and war breaks out against me, even then I will be confident. It's not an extraordinary thing. Or Psalm 91, the psalmist says, if we dwell in the shelter of the Most High and rest in the shadow of the Almighty, then we will not fear the terror of night or the arrow that flies by day or the pestilence that stalks in the darkness. Right? We will not fear. And I think Jesus in this story is showing us that those are not just pretty words. We love those words from the Psalms, but I think very often we don't believe it's possible to live without fear. We have given in to the inevitability of being riddled with anxiety and riddled with fear. Jesus is showing us it is possible for a human being to live this way um, with that kind of trust in the love of the Father because perfect love drives out fear. And so, I want to encourage you again um, to take a moment to think about the storms that make you afraid that maybe you brought to mind earlier on, uh, the personal storms in your life, the cultural storms in our world, um, 
And I found it helpful this week in thinking about this, just to almost have a conversation with myself, right? It's good to talk to yourself, by the way. Like, do you know that the psalmists often do it? They say, why are you so downcast, O my soul? Um, I love that. Like, you have a wee chat with yourself. Um, put your trust in God. Um, it's good to talk to yourself, right, about these things. And so I had a little conversation with myself this week about the storms that make me afraid. And this, it went something like this. Where is Jesus? The answer for me was, he's right there in the boat with you, right? We sometimes think he's far away or he's looking after bigger, bigger things, but he's right there, wherever you are, he's right there in the boat with you. My second question for myself was, has he noticed that it's stormy? <laughs> right? Has he noticed that these storms are going on in our world, in our lives? Is he oblivious? The answer in my spirit, of course he's noticed. Maybe another way of saying that, I ask myself, is Jesus taken by surprise by any of the storms that are going on in my life or in our world? Is he really surprised by any of it, by the headlines that are in the newspaper when I open it? None of it is taken him by surprise. And then the big question, as I look at Jesus in the boat with me, is he anxious? Is he alarmed? Is he afraid? Now, some of you may be thinking, and it's a good, maybe a good thing to think about, is he grieved by things that are going on in our world? I absolutely believe he is. Is he angry sometimes about some of the things that are going on in our world? You bet he is. But I'm asking a different question. Is he alarmed? Is he anxious? Is he afraid? Or to put it another way, is he helpless in the face of these storms? Does he look at them and think, what's to be done? Right? They're rhetorical questions I'm asking you. But I, I find it helpful just to have that conversation with myself. But where is Jesus? Has he noticed? Does he care? Is he surprised? Is he afraid? Is he helpless? The story that we read this morning teaches us, I think, really powerfully that whatever the storm, Jesus is greater than the storm. Um, I wonder, did you notice as we read the story that again, and this is the theme in Mark's gospel, there's no drama or struggle. I was kind of thinking if this was like the Lord of the Rings, Gandalf would be fighting some power of evil and there'd be like a big back and forth where it looked like Gandalf was going to win and then it looked like the other one was going to win and it would go, you know, you know, all that kind of drama. There's no drama in this story at, at the moment when, when it just says Jesus got up and he rebuked the wind and the waves. And all he said was, and I, li I like the older translations, say, peace, be still. And the sea was calm, right? Um, and I don't know if you noticed as we read, the disciples who had been scared of the sea end up terrified of Jesus um, because they say, who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him, right? Because they know the Old Testament talks a lot about how God is the only one who can calm the storm. The Psalms talk a lot about God calming and stilling the sea and the storms. And so they're starting to realize, it's another one of those moments when they're starting to realize who they are in the presence of, right? But they hadn't quite got it yet. But all he says is peace, be still. And so the question I need to ask you this morning is, do you believe Jesus is greater 
than the storms that you are facing. Whether it's cancer or divorce or depression or addiction or death or whatever madness or darkness or foolishness you see happening in our world, is Jesus greater than that storm? Um, and again, I have to keep saying this, I'm not trying to convince you that the storm isn't real or that the storm is not so serious that actually if you look at it the right way, it's all okay. There is good reason to be afraid, alarmed and anxious. That is normal and human and natural. But the message on my heart this morning is for God's people, for apprentices of Jesus, it is not inevitable because Jesus is here and he is greater than the storm and not just slightly greater than the storm, but infinitely, unimaginably greater than the storm. Um, we need to look at him and not the waves. We need to listen to him and not the wind as he speaks this powerful word and says, peace. I think that word peace is really important. You know, the, the newer translations say quiet, be still, but it's literally peace. And I think that's really important. Why? Because peace is a gospel word, right? Peace Peace is at the very heart of the gospel. Um, let, me, let me give you a few examples. Um, in Colossians 1, it says, In Jesus, God is reconciling all things to himself by making peace through his blood. In Ephesians 2, Paul writes that Jesus himself is our peace and that he came and preached peace to those who were far away and peace to those who were near. Um, just before Jesus went to the cross, in John 14, he spoke to his troubled and anxious disciples who were afraid again. And what did he say? He said, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Don't let your hearts be troubled and don't be afraid. And then after Jesus rose from the dead, um, he appeared to his disciples after the resurrection in John 20 when they, they had the doors locked. Why? Because they were afraid again because they're very like us and they keep forgetting and they keep getting scared. And what is the first word that the risen Jesus speaks to them? Peace. He speaks peace. And so the gospel is all about peace. Jesus makes peace. Jesus gives peace. Jesus is our peace. And so the thing that I felt really challenged about again this week and I know this is probably a recurring theme in recent sermons, is we cannot witness in our generation, in our very anxious generation, we cannot witness to this gospel of peace if we as believers, if we as followers of Jesus are captive to fear. If we are filled with anxiety, we can't credibly proclaim this gospel of peace. Nobody will believe us. If we are running around like chicken licking saying the, the sky has fallen down, nobody is going to believe us when we say Jesus has made peace, Jesus gives peace, Jesus is our peace. Um, and so the reason that I keep coming back to this theme for myself and for us as a church um, is I am convinced, um, this is the way it came to me this week, was the most urgent evangelistic task in this anxious generation is for God's people to rediscover this peace and embody this peace and carry this peace because otherwise nobody's going to believe us when we say Jesus is the Prince of Peace and he resides in my heart, right? So we need to recover this peace. We need to find that peace at the heart of the gospel. Um, I'm, I'm nearly finished. Um, I do want to make 
Um, two really practical observations, um, and I'm going to drop them in for, they're maybe slightly provocative, I'm going to drop them in for you to discuss and debate later on. Um, one is this, that sometimes fear <laughs> hides behind aggression and bravado. And so there are some Christians in our world who will, who will openly say, I feel really scared. There are other Christians who say, I'm not scared of anything. I'm not scared of anybody. But they're kind of ready to go and punch someone on the nose, um, like find a woke liberal and punch them or something. Like there's kind of a, a bravado. There's an aggression. And I want to say the opposite of fear is not bravado. Right? That's not what you see when you look at Jesus. He's bold and he's courageous, but it's not aggressive bravado. Um, and so that may be something to think about because some people are very quick to go, I'm not afraid. <laughs> right? Um, we may just need to think about this challenge. It's the peace of Christ. Maybe you need to ask the people you live with. Do they sense the peace of Christ when they're in your company? As something that is part of the atmosphere that you carry? That might be a brave question to ask. Um, the second practical observation, I should, actually, I should probably have said this last and then run out the door. Um, I, I turned 47 recently, so I'm very much undeniably in middle age now. Um, um, I'm going to make a big generalization. Um, I do think this problem of fear about the cultural storms is a bigger challenge for those who are my age and older. Right? That's a, the older generations I'm so grateful for, huge strengths spiritually, and have, have uh, taught me so much um, in so many different ways. But I think there's probably good reasons why having lived through a lot of cultural change, the older generations are more likely to feel that fear. And I've been really challenged recently. We've been really blessed in this church with um, a, a new generation of 20s and 30s that are coming through. Uh, and one of the things I want to say is I don't sense that same fear in them. I think they've grown up with the, the culture the way it is. And so they're not surprised that the pagans are doing pagan things. And they, they are just getting on with following Jesus and sharing the good news of Jesus. That is a massive generalization. It's not fair of everybody. It's not fair of all of you. If it, if it helps, I'm putting myself in the older generation. Um, but I wanted to say that, that that's on my heart. I think it's a bigger challenge for, those, for, for the older generations, that one. And I think there's something to learn. Go and meet some of the 20s and 30s um, and talk to them about what it means to follow Jesus um, in our generation. You can tell me later if you... Uh, disagree about that one. Uh, but let me, let me finish with this. Um, again, the, the practical challenge that all of this comes down to, I think, is we need to stop feeding the fear in ourselves. Um, it's good to be informed about what's going on in the world, but most of us spend far too much time consuming the news and listening to voices that want us to be alarmed. And we need to spend much more time every day looking at Jesus and listening to him and getting our orientation there. We need to stop feeding the fear in ourselves. And secondly, we need to stop feeding the fear in each other. We need to pay attention to our habits of everyday speech. We need to stop saying continually, did you hear that wind last night, right? Have you seen those waves? That's so much of our conversation is that kind of conversation. Instead, we need to help each other pay attention to Jesus and ask those questions. Where is Jesus right now? Does he care? Is he surprised? Is he afraid? 
and get our orientation in life from there. We need to help each other listen to his voice saying, peace, be still. And so let me say it one last time. It is not inevitable that we live as slaves to fear. As you learn to listen to the voice of Jesus, the one who calmed the stormy sea can also calm the storm inside your heart and give you his peace to guard your heart and mind um, as you live. And so, in light of all that, um, let me pray for us. um, And let me encourage you, if there's anything going on uh, with you at the minute and you'd like prayer this morning, uh, there's going to be a couple of people up here at the front uh, who would love to pray with you before you go. Um, There's tea and coffee afterwards. Do hang around um, if you can. But let me pray for us, and then we're going to sing a final song to finish. Father, thank you that you know our hearts and you know the things that make us anxious and afraid. Father, we want to thank you this morning for Jesus who has come to preach peace um, even to people like us. We want to thank you for the patience of Jesus that he keeps coming back to his scared and anxious disciples and saying again, peace I give you, peace I leave with you. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't be afraid. We're, we're really aware this morning that we find this really difficult to put into practice. It's really human to be afraid. And yet Jesus shows us it is possible to trust the power and presence and love and goodness of God in such a way that we can walk through this world unafraid. And so, Father, I want to pray this morning that the peace of Christ would come and guard our hearts and minds so that whatever is going on in our personal lives, whatever's going on in the news headlines, whatever's going on in our world, our eyes would be on Jesus and we would be hearing the voice of your spirit saying again and again to our spirit, peace, be still. Father, help us in our anxious world to be people who embody this peace so that the world will believe that this gospel is true. And we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. And just before we sing, um, I want to, I know I've done this before, but I want to, I want to pray on you, over you all, uh, a prayer of blessing, which my wife uh, prays every morning over our kids as they go into the world. And I want to pray it over you as you go into your week. Um, It says, may the peace of Christ go with you wherever he may send you. May he guide you through the wilderness, protect you through the storm. May he bring you home rejoicing at the wonders he has shown you. May he bring you home rejoicing once again into our doors. Amen.